Howdy, howdy, folks. I am Father Fred Gatchett, and you are tuned in to the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and the station that started it all, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And um, the deceptive culture, the deception of the culture that I want to talk about today is um, it's a, an article that I found. It says, Seven Facts About American Catholics, written by a couple of guys named David Maskey and Gregory Smith. And that's really all I know. It doesn't really, all it says at the end of it is that this is an update of a post originally published September 4th, 2018. They probably just went and updated some of the numbers, which is all well and good. I don't know where these guys are from. I don't know where this thing originally appeared. So that's just kind of some in the sense of transparency there. But if any of you know where it came from, um, let us know. But again, it's called Seven Facts About American Catholics by David Maskey and Gregory A. Smith. Anyway, um, it, it starts off saying the Catholic Church is larger than any other single religious institution in the United States with over 17,000 parishes serve a large and diverse population. Okay, that's really something else. You know, again, we are the, even though Catholics are a minority in the country, we are the biggest denomination. And that is to say that if you, if you just weigh Catholics, if you take Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and Episcopalians and Evangelicals, whatever, and you put them all in one big pile and you put Catholics in another pile, that, you know, the Catholics are the smaller pile. But if you make individual piles, you know, the Catholic pile, the Methodist pile, the Evangelical pile, the Lutheran pile, and so on, Catholics is the biggest pile, okay? But what these guys say here, oh, it also says there's 17,000 parishes. I one time heard an interesting guy when I was in the seminary. His name is Father Brian Hare, H-E-I-R. And he was one of these interesting characters, and he was very intelligent, very well-traveled, and um, he actually had the Pope's private telephone number and back in those days was called the Rolodex. Um, some of you might know what a Rolodex is. It's a little, it's a rolling index. It's a, a thing that would sit on the on your desk and you would spin a wheel on it and it had um, cards that would come up that would have um, you know names and telephone numbers and stuff in it. And this guy actually had the Pope's personal phone number. Imagine being able to call Pope St. John Paul the Great whenever you wanted. But anyway, this guy came to talk to us about, you know, the church and everything. And he says, look, he goes, there are more Catholic churches in the United States than there are post offices. You know, that's really kind of a remarkable thing to think about. There are more Catholic churches in this country than there are post offices. You know, we have the infrastructure. We have the presence. All we got to do is, is, is do something with it and take advantage of it and turn it into something. But anyway... What the, 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 these guys, this David Maskey and Gregory A. Smith, here's their seven facts about the church. And there's just a couple I really want to go back and talk about. He says there are 51 million adult Catholics in the United States. Okay. Um, that means that um, about one-fifth of the total adult population, according to the two, Pew Research Center's 2014 Religious Landscape Study, says that there are about one-fifth of the total United States adult population, 20%, is Catholic. Now... They go on to say, a study found that the share of Americans who are Catholic declined from 24% in 2007 to 21% in 2014. So, you know, there's a decline there. Um, actually, there is a, there's a decline in, in most all of, of, of um, people who just don't go to church at all, and no matter what your denomination is, but we're going to stick with the Catholic window here and see what we come up with. 
Then, number two, they say, Catholicism has experienced a greater net loss due to religious switching than any other religion, any other religious tradition in the United States. They say overall, 13% of all U.S. adults are former Catholics, people who say they were raised in the faith but now identify as religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, as Protestants or with, or with any other religion. By contrast, 2% of adults are converse to Catholicism, people who now identify as Catholic who either had never been raised in, in another religion or no religion at all. This means there are 6.5 former Catholics in the United States for every convert. Okay, so again, that looks pretty, pretty dismal, doesn't it? That um, for every one person that comes into the church, like on the Easter Vigil with RCIA, 6.5 Catholics, you know, people leave the church. Then, number three is they say Catholics in the United States are racially and ethnically diverse. Um, roughly six in ten Catholics are white, one-third are Latino, a smaller shares identify as black, Asian American, or other um, racial and ethnic, ethnic groups. This shows that the, the data also shows that the number of U.S. Catholics who are Latino are growing. That's really no surprise to any of us that speak Spanish and are trying to serve the, the Hispanic community. Then they go on to say Catholics, this is number four, Catholics are fairly evenly dispersed throughout the country. 27% live in the South, 26 in the Northeast, 26 in the West, and 21 in the Midwest. You know, so it isn't, you know, it isn't like, you know, if you, if you, I've seen maps of the various denominations, like you go in the southeastern United States, and um, you know the the Southern Baptists just really have that saturated. But you know, and Catholics are pretty much you know fairly evenly dispersed throughout the whole country. Then number five, it says many Catholics say they want to see the church make significant changes, and this is what I'm going to come back and talk about this quite a bit once we get through these other ones. But because this, this is the main thing that I, that I really want to develop. On, um, on, this, on this installment of Double-Edged Sword. But um, it, it says, for example, well, here, I'll just read you the numbers. According to this, um, to this data that they have from um, the Pew Research Center, it says 76% of Catholics, these are, again, and this is a loaded term, we'll talk about that too, but it says 70% of Catholics say that Catholics should be allowed to use birth control. 62% of Catholics say that priests should be allowed to get married. 62% of Catholics say that divorced Catholics who remarry without getting an annulment should be able to receive communion. 61% of Catholics say that cohabiting Catholics, in other words, people that are just um, obstinately and publicly and you know, stubbornly living in mortal sin, should be allowed to receive communion. 59% of Catholics say women should be allowed to become priests. And 46% of Catholics say that the church should recognize marriages of gay and lesbian couples. Okay. So here, you know, it looks like you've got all the way from 46 to 76% of Catholics championing causes that you know, the church very, you know, clearly and very over the centuries has very clearly taught against. And um, we'll come back to that. That's, again, that's the thing I really want to talk about here. Number six, remember, these are seven things um, these folks are talking about. These are talking about seven facts about U.S. Catholics. Number six is politically, Catholics registered voters are evenly split. In other words, you know, there's about 47% of Catholics identify with the Democratic Party and 46 favor the GOP, favor the Republican Party. So um, that's one of the things I've never understood. People talk about the Catholic vote. And I'm going, well, I don't think that Catholics really vote one way or the other. And this, read, this um, research seems to kind of point it out. Then it says the number seven is large majorities of U.S. Catholics have admired Pope Francis throughout his tenure, but there are growing signs of discontentment. 
In 2014, 54% of Americans gave Francis an excellent or good marks for handling the church's sex abuse scandal. But in a Pew Research poll center connected in 2018, after the reports came out, the share of Catholics had fallen 23 points to 31%. So anyway, so, you know, Pope, the Pope kind of rides up and down on the, on the popularity polls there as well. But what I really wanted to kind of get back to was, again, this, this number five, where it says, where the, you know, these researchers found out that many Catholics say they want to see the church make significant changes. Well, the thing is, is it seems to me that if you've got these large percentages of Catholics, now, again, a minute ago, I said we're going to talk about what Catholics means here. And whenever they talk about Catholics, you know, you have to kind of, you know, dig into the data a little bit better. I think the Pew people do a pretty good job of this, but, but the, um, the, um, this, this particular aspect of the data isn't really reflected here. And that is that if you go out and round up whatever your, your, your sample is, you've got, a, you know, 500 people. You know, we, we polled 500 Catholics and asked them, you know, should Catholics be allowed to use birth control? Should priests be allowed to get married? You know, should divorced Catholics who remarry without getting annulment be admitted to go to Holy Communion? You know, if, if couples are cohabiting without the sacrament of matrimony, should they be able to receive Holy Communion? Um, should women be allowed to become priests? Should the church recognize gay marriages and lesbian couples and things like that? And you say, well, we ask Catholics. It's like, okay, but now did you ask people who just call themselves Catholics? like a lot of these so-called Catholic politicians? Or are you talking to people who go to Mass on Sunday? Okay. You know, when, when you look at, the, at the, the various things that these so-called Catholic politicians vote for and, and support and champion um, in order to get themselves elected, and then they want to come back and say, oh, but I'm a devout Catholic to get to so-called, you know, get the so-called Catholic vote. Well, you know, that just doesn't work. And so the thing of it is, is if you say, well, you know, we pulled 500 people who go to mass every Sunday. Okay. That would be the number that I would like to see. Okay. Because I think that it's probably no surprise that if you have the, these, you know, very overwhelming majorities, I mean, you know, the, of all these, of these six things that they talked about of, you know, Catholics using birth control, um, having married priests having Catholics who divorce and remarry without getting an annulment and, you know, they remarry outside the church or cohabiting Catholics, you know, just living together, um, having women priests and, and then the church recognizing gay and lesbian couples, their marriages, having the sacrament of matrimony for, you know, gay and lesbian couples. You've got, again, everywhere from 76 of the, for allowing Catholics to use birth control down to 46% of Catholics wanting to wanting the church to recognize the marriages of gay and lesbian couples, you know, in 62%, 61%, 59%, you know, these overwhelming majorities. Well, heck, no wonder you've got, you know, all these people leaving the church. If I believed in this stuff... You know, if, 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 I, if I firmly believe that artificial birth control was the way to go, in spite of all the evidence, it shows that it's a total disaster. If I believe that having married priests was going to solve our, our problems, which it hasn't really done much for the Protestant denominations, if you look at it honestly. If you want to allow Catholics who are divorced without, you know, getting an annulment to go to communion, well, you got to take that up with Jesus. You know, he's the one that said whoever divorces and wife and marries another commits adultery, and she who divorces her husband and marries another commits adultery against him. You know, that's the Son of God that said that in the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 10. You can look it up. Um, that's not the Pope. That's not the Church. We're just teaching what Jesus taught. So if you have problems with that, your problem is not with the Catholic Church. Your problem is with the Son of God. You need to take it up with him. 
again, allowing cohabiting couples to receive Holy Communion. It's not the Catholic Church that defines fornication as the illicit sexual union of two people who are not married, okay? And in fact, if you look up in, in, in St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, in chapter 5, verse 19 and following, in there he lists, so he has, you know, St. Paul likes to do, and this isn't just in Galatians, he, he does the same thing in, in, um, in 1 Corinthians as well. It's just in Galatians, it's the clearest. You know, St. Paul says in, in 519, he says, you know, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, the first on the list is fornication. What does fornication mean? Fornication means, again, two people who are not married who have sex with each other. Impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, he's got this laundry list of sins. And then he says, I am warning you as I have warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, the last I checked, there's two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of hell. If you don't receive the kingdom of God, which one do you get? You get the kingdom of hell, all right? And so basically what the scriptures are telling us is that fornication is a mortal sin. Also, St. Paul tells us in, um, in 1 Corinthians 11, where he's given the, the teaching on you know, receiving the Eucharist, and he says you know, the abuses of the Lord's Supper, you know, where, where St. Paul is talking and talking to him about, you know, the, the wrong things they were doing. You know, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, this part should be very familiar. St. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I handed on to you. In other words, this is part of the, of the flash revelation that St. Paul got from Jesus whenever he was on his way to Damascus, when the bright, when the bright flash of light knocked him down and, and, you know, Jesus just kind of dumped the gospel message into his head in a nanosecond, all right? It took him a long time to sort all that out. But St. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup also after supper, saying, This cup is his new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Hopefully that sounds vaguely familiar to our listening audience today. Those are the very words we use at Mass. Then in verse 27, St. Paul goes on to say, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that is to say, in a state of sin, will be answerable to the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only then eat the bread and drink the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. Okay, so here is where St. Paul lays out the teaching that in order to receive the sacrament of the Eucharist, we have to be in the state of grace. And if we are obstinately living together with our boyfriend or girlfriend, and we are having, you know, we're committing the sin of fornication, and then we want to march in on Sunday and go receive the sacrament of the Eucharist, it's not the church telling these people they can't do that. This comes from St. Paul. This comes from the scriptures, the inspired word of God. And so again, for all you know, the 61% of Catholics who say that cohabiting Catholics should be able to receive communion, I'm going to tell you, look, this, is not, this isn't coming from the mean old church that wants to make people feel bad. This is just the church teaching and handing on the teaching that's been handed on to us through the scriptures. Okay, And again, allowing Catholics who remarry without getting an annulment to receive communion— Again, it's not the Catholic Church that said the one who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and the one who divorces her husband and marries marries another commits adultery against him. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in Mark chapter 10. Okay? Now, 
The thing is, you know, these are difficult situations. Um, Pope Francis has written about this. And I think that um, whenever we look at these difficult situations, it's not that the church, as Jesus says, is binding up, a, you know, when he balls out the scribes and Pharisees, you know, woe, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you frauds. You bind up loads that are difficult to carry for other people to carry, and you yourself will not lift a finger to budge them. You know, the, well, the, the teachings that come to us in the scriptures are difficult, okay? But the church does provide the means to budge them. You know, if you have a cohabiting couple, if, if receiving communion means so much to you, then come to the parish, sit down, talk with the pastor, do the marriage preparation and get married. Okay. And then, you know, because we can solve that, you know, we can fix that. When you, again, couples that are, that are, that get divorced and then remarry without getting an annulment, you know, if they're remarried outside the church, again, come in and talk to your parish. You know, we, we, you know, we work on helping folks with the, with the annulment process all the time. You know, we can do that. And so, um, you know, the thing is, is that it's not like these things are insurmountable problems. It's just that most people don't want to go through the trouble. And so, you know, again, I think that looking at these things that, that you know, it says many Catholics support changes in key church teachings and policies. Well, the church is not a democracy, thanks be to God. It's, you know, we have what we have are the, the teachings that have been handed on to us, you know, by Christ, you know, through the tradition of the church and through the scriptures. And we try to adhere to those. But again, to, to just sit there and say, well, okay, you know, yeah, come one, come all, go to communion, no problem. Again, that's, that, that, isn't, that isn't the church just kind of withholding communion from people just to be mean. You know, you know St. Paul has told us very clearly that we have to be in the state of grace. Otherwise, we commit not just a mortal sin, we commit what's called a sacrilege. Whenever we receive a sacrament, other than the sacrament of reconciliation, and in some cases, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, um, but if we receive holy orders, confirmation, Eucharist, you know, any one of these, any one of these sacraments in an obstinate state of sin and have no intention of repenting, then you, we, we, you know, not only do we not get the graces from that sacrament that we should have gotten, but we also commit an even worse sin, which is, which is called a sacrilege. And so, again, I think that um, when we look at what these guys are pointing out, I don't fault, um, you know, David Maskey and Greg Smith for their for their article. I mean, they're just kind of reporting on some data. Um, but again, all this hand reading that we do about, you know, the, the large numbers of people that are leaving the church, this really isn't anything new, you know, because, you know, on the one hand, you know, we, you know, it says 13% of all U.S. adult Catholics, U.S. adults are former Catholics. Well, in a certain sense, I say goodbye and good riddance. You know, if, if you don't want to conform to the teachings that are in the, that are in the scriptures, well, then, you know, exercise your religious liberty, your religious freedom and leave. You know, and if you want to, you can go start your own religion, you know, go rent out a building somewhere and put up, you know, Bob's Bible Church, whatever you want to call it. And here, you know, you can come in and we will give you a communion wafer. We don't care what you're doing. You know, you, you can be cooking meth and human trafficking and you can come here because Jesus loves everybody. Well, you know, I just don't think that's going to work. So, you know, the in the kind of for the first part of the first installment of the program here, I just wanted to talk about some of this stuff again about the seven facts about American Catholics from this article by David Maskey and Greg Smith. Again, I think it's a pretty good article. It's got some pretty good data in it. But what people are doing with this data, I think, is somewhat questionable. And so, you know, again, when we look at the at the the fact that it says that, you know, Catholics support all these churches in changing and teaching church teachings and policies. Well, again, my first question is these people you ask, do they go to mass on Sunday? 
you know, because everything that's not in here is the, the overwhelming number of Catholics, majority of Catholics, that do not believe that Christ is truly present in the Eucharist. You know, they're, they're, they've done studies on that, too. And there, you know, they have done studies where they have cut it a little bit finer, and not just Catholics in general, but Catholics who come to Mass on Sunday. And um, there's an there's a alarming percentage of people who even come to Mass on Sunday who say that, well, no, whenever I go up and receive communion, I'm just, I'm just getting this piece of bread that kind of represents Jesus or stands for Jesus or, you know, somehow or another, you know, is a, is a, a symbol of Jesus. Well, you know, St. Paul says no. <laughs> you know, um, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11 that we just read from, you know, whenever, you know, St. Paul starts off, you know, repeating the words of Jesus, this is my body, this is my blood, all right? And therefore, then he says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily is answerable to the body and blood of the Lord. He doesn't say he's answerable to the bread and wine. He says you're answerable to the body and blood. And so the thing is, is that if you have people who don't believe that the Eucharist is really and truly the body and blood of Jesus, if all it is is just a, you know, this unanimated, you know, bland wafer made out of just whole wheat flour, and that's about it, well, then why not have cohabiting couples go up and take that wafer? Why not have, you know, divorced Catholics who marry without an annulment you know, go up and get the wafer? If all it is is just this symbol of something, whatever the heck it is, well, then, you know, none of this really matters. I mean, in which case, you know, kind of what they're saying is, you know, well, maybe it's true. But the problem is, is that it truly is the body and blood of Jesus. And since it truly is the body and blood of Jesus, then all this other stuff matters. And it, and it matters very, very seriously. And so um, I think we'll take a little break there. And then when we come back, what I want to show is um, a lot of what these guys are talking about in this article is really nothing new. It goes back to New Testament times. We can see that there as well. So again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. I am the um, rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas. I'm also the vicar general for the Diocese of Salina. And um, I teach a, a wonderful bunch of young people at Sacred Heart High School and here in Salina. I teach Old and New Testament a couple hours a day, which is kind of the high point of my day usually. And um, so um, again, you're listening to the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Catholic radio stations on Divine Mercy Radio. KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and the station that started it all, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And this is the Double-Edged Sword Program. We're cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And um, just stay put, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Hey troops, we are back. I am Father Fred Gatchett and you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on the family of fine Catholic radio stations of Divine Mercy radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And here we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And um, the deceptive culture that we're cutting to the heart of today comes from an article that I found called Seven Facts About American Catholics by a couple guys named David Maskey and Greg Smith, Gregory A. Smith. I think it's a pretty good article. It's got some pretty good data in it. And then basically they're just presenting the data. They're not really, they don't really seem to have an ax to grind, which is kind of refreshing. And, um, but basically just to refresh you on the seven facts that they had, that they isolated, there's more than this obviously, but here's seven facts about American Catholics and their church. There are roughly 51 million adult Catholics in the United States 
accounting for about a fifth of the U.S. population, the adult population, about 20%. Number two, Catholicism has experienced a greater net loss due to religious switching than any other religious tradition in the United States. They say overall 13% of all U.S. Catholics are, U.S. adults are former Catholics. Um, and basically doing the numbers, they found out, or they, they, they kind of come to the conclusion that for every one person that joins the Catholic Church, for every convert that we get, six and a half people leave. And um, again, you know, that can be kind of distressing, but we've, we've talked about that a little bit in the, in the first part of the program, and we'll hit it some more here in a little bit. Um, number three, they say Catholics in the United States are racially and ethnically diverse. That were, you know, that there's, you know, says about 60% are white, about a third are, are Latino, and smaller shares identify as black, Asian, and other racial and ethnic groups. It also, number four, says that Catholics are pretty much dispersed evenly throughout the country. We don't tend to, you know, be concentrated, you know, in the northeast or the south or the west or whatever. We're pretty much all over the place. Then, Number five was, they said many Catholics say they want to see the church make significant changes. And that was what I spent the better part of the last, of the first part of the program talking about. We're going to finish that up here. And we'll talk about those changes here in just a second. Number six, it says, politically, Catholic registered voters are split. Uh, about 47% call themselves Democrat and about 46% call themselves Republican. So again, you know, people, you always hear people on the news talking about the Catholic vote. And I'm going, well, where's the Catholic vote? It looks like it's about 50-50, you know. And then um, it says large majorities of Catholics have admired Pope Francis throughout his tenure, but there are growing signs of discontentment. So anyway, you know, that's kind of the way any leader is going to go. You get popular for a while and then they throw you under the bus. But that's the way it is. But the, the thing that I really kind of wanted to focus on, that I did focus on the first half of the program, are number two and number five. Number two, it talked about the large number of people leaving the church. And number five says many so-called Catholics want to see the church make significant changes. And those changes were 76% want to allow for birth control, 62% want to allow for married priests, 62% want to allow Catholics to get divorced and remarried without getting an annulment to receive communion, 61% want cohabiting Catholics to receive communion, 59% want to see women priests, and 46% want to see the church recognize uh, the marriages of gay and lesbian couples. In other words, we would be having weddings in church for two guys or two girls. Now, the thing of it is, like I said, when you've got you know 46 to 76 percent of so-called Catholics saying this, well, then no wonder they're leaving. You know, if, if I belong to an organization that where me and a significant number of my other fellow belongers to this organization didn't believe with what the organization said and what they were doing, heck, I'd leave too. And um, but and the thing of it is, I I look at this as, as you know, people wring their hands and oh my gosh, you know, people are leaving the church. You know, well, you know, we need to we need to do a better job of reaching out to people and 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 being inclusive and tolerant and all this kind of nonsense. Well, you know, I would just say this, and the, here here's kind of the here's the first part where you're going to tilt my hand, and then we're going to look at what St. Paul says. The first is this. Let's say that. We got a new pope. And this new pope got up and he said, okay, world, you know, I have seen the error of my ways. I have seen the error of the ways of the church. We have been wrong all these millennia. 
And so, you know, yeah, birth control, don't worry about it. Get all the birth control, but put your kids on birth control. Heck, when, you know, about the time, you know, girls hit adolescence, you know, when they, when they, when the puberty fairy visits, put them on birth control. Let's just have all the fornication that we want. They're going to do it anyway. And sure, let's have married priests. Sure, why not? That, you know, that'll solve all of our problems. When we've been wrong for all these centuries, just having celibate priests and Catholics, they get divorced and then get remarried outside the church. Well, just come on back. Don't worry about it. You know, it's all good. And all you folks out there that are living together without being married, hey, we don't want to judge. Just come on in and go to communion with everybody else. And it's 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 all fine. And, you know, we, we'll start ordaining women tomorrow. No problem. Um, let's just start loading up the seminaries and, you know, if we can get women to go to them. And even if they don't want to go, heck, we don't want to be intolerant or exclusive. Just show up and we'll just ordain you. And, um, you know, gay and lesbian couples, you know, just show up at the church and, you know, however you want to do it. And, you know, we'll open wide the doors and light the candles and fire up the organ. And, you know, you can, we'll have gay marriages in church. Okay. Let's say a Pope did that and made it policy. And let's say, you know, some of the bishops all went along with them. Do you really think for a minute that all of a sudden the churches, the Catholic churches would be bursting at the seams with people going, Oh my gosh, I can't believe how tolerant and open-minded and inclusive the, the, the church has become. This is just wonderful. Do you really think they would do that? I don't think so for a minute. You know why I don't think so? Because, for example, the Episcopalian church allows for birth control. The Episcopalian church has married and women priests. The Episcopalian Church doesn't have problems with people getting divorced and remarried outside their church. Um, the Episcopalian Church doesn't. I mean, they, I think they probably have a. They would probably say officially that um, they don't believe you know that fornication is a good thing, but they're not going to take a stand against it. And the Episcopalian Church has been doing same-sex marriages 20 years before the Supreme Court legalized it in the United States. And you know what? The Supreme, the, the Episcopalian Church is dying a slow death. Okay, um, people are leaving the Episcopalian Church in droves, and so when you, when you look at all these things that people are bickering and moaning about with the Catholic Church, you know, you know whether it's allowing for birth control, having female or married male priests, not having a problem with divorce and remarriage, and so on. You know, a lot of Protestantism has been doing this for a long time, and the, the, you don't really see people flocking to the Protestant churches either. And so the, the, my, my first thing is, is when people sit there and say, well, gosh, you know, when you've got 13% of all U.S. Catholics or, or a few U.S. adults are former Catholics, and, you know, when we have six and a half Catholics leaving for every convert that comes into the church, well, you know, maybe we should kind of look the other way on birth control. Maybe we should go ahead and allow for married priests. Maybe we should allow for women priests. You know, maybe, you know, we shouldn't be so hard on people that live together without being married and people that get divorced and remarried outside the church, you know, and, and maybe we should be tolerant and inclusive and fly the rainbow flag outside the, the Catholic churches, you know, and, and be welcoming of the LGBTQRSTVWXYZ or whatever letter they put onto their retina, their resume these days, community, all right? Well, again, I just look around and go, rather than reinventing the wheel, let's see how it's worked out for everybody else that's tried it, okay? And the thing of it is, you look around and everybody else that's tried it, it has not worked out very well. And so I guess, you know, what, what we want to do I mean, the only reason why people report on people leaving the Catholic Church is because the Catholic Church is relevant, okay? Protestantism, for the most part, is irrelevant. 
And all you have to do to, to, prove, to prove this to yourself is, again, look around and look at the, the reporting and stuff that goes on. You know, that whatever goes on inside the church, for good or for bad, usually it's just the bad stuff they report on, um, that same bad stuff is going on inside the Protestant churches too, okay? And sometimes to a much worse extent. But it's not reported on. Why? Because Protestantism is irrelevant, okay? Um, Catholicism is relevant. And Catholicism is the one force that's standing in the way of these various, you know, forces of evil, whether it's, you know, you know, Marxism and, you know, again, the whole, you know, abortion crowd, the gay marriage crowd, you know, all these people that are pushing all these, these disordered things down everybody's throat. The only thing that's standing in the way of them getting everything they want is the Catholic Church, and they hate us for it. Okay, And they've done a very, very good job of infiltrating public education, the universities and colleges, the media and so on, and getting their agenda out there to our young people are just very, very confused. I just I know as a Catholic school teacher myself and then also just dealing you know, with people that um, the, the degree of confusion out there is just is just incredible. And so there, there's a lot of work to be done. It's an ongoing project of trying to help folks, you know, see through the big lie and try to understand what's right. Now, the thing is, is again, going back to, you know, the, the, these large numbers of people that are leaving the faith. All right. Listen to what St. Paul tells Timothy. This is in the second letter of Timothy. He says, do your best to come to me soon. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 18. St. Paul says to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon, for Damas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So one of Paul's buddies just kind of thought, well, you know, this gospel thing it was fun while it lasted. I'm going back to what I used to do. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Now, it looks like Crescens and, um, and Titus, they're still Luke's buddies, um, but they're off doing other things, probably, you know, trying to continue Paul's work. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful in my ministry. At least he is now. We'll look at the Acts of the Apostles here in a second and see what happened before. Um, I've, I've, sent, I've sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come with me, bring the cloak I left with Carpus and Troas and the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him for his deeds. You must also be aware of him for he strongly opposed our message. You know, this is in the so-called golden age of Christianity. And here you got St. Paul, Damas, abandoning him and Alexander the coppersmith, whoever the heck he is, you know, doing great harm. Then St. Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but they all deserted me. All right. Here's Paul being deserted by people, just like the church is being deserted by people today. What does St. Paul say? May it not be counted against them. He's a good soul. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed that all the Gentiles might hear it. I mean, isn't that kind of the blueprint we should be looking at? You know, people might be leaving in droves, but those who remain and those who remain with the teachings that have been handed on to us from Christ through the apostles down through the centuries, just like St. Paul, the Lord will stand by us and give us strength that his message might be fully proclaimed. Okay, um, that I think is pretty significant. Then Paul goes on to say, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So again, look at what St. Paul says there. Here, you know, we've got these guys, these seven facts about American Catholics. And again, if, I don't know what, what, what 
publication this originally appeared in. But these guys saying that, you know, 13% of U.S. adults are former Catholics, that the overall number of Catholics has declined from 24% in 2007 to 21% in 2014. And people are kind of wringing their hands. Oh, this is terrible. What are we going to do? We're, you know, we're losing members left and right. Well, Damis, in love with the present world, deserted Paul and went to Thessalonica. Alexander the coppersmith did him great damage. And at his first defense, no one came to his support, but they all deserted him. Okay. But the Lord stood by him and gave him strength that through him, his message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles and they might hear it. Okay. There, I think, is the blueprint. You know, that, you know, they, uh, no one comes to our support. You know, all these various people in love with the present world, in love with birth control, in love with divorce and remarriage, in love with the gay and lesbian lifestyle have left. Well, bye. You know, if they want to leave, let them go. We have this wonderful thing called religious freedom. I mean, you might as well exercise it while we still got it. Okay. But then again, you know, what does St. Paul say? That, you know, they're, they're going to leave, enamored with the world. So, so be it, but the Lord will stand by us and give us strength that through us the message might be fully proclaimed. In the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, St. Paul's telling them, Now I affirm and insist on in the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. They have lost all sensitivity of it, abandoned themselves, to licentiousness, greedy, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned in Christ. Well, again, for all these folks that want to allow Catholics to use birth control, that want cohabiting Catholics to receive communion, 61%, that want a, a divorced Catholics to remarry outside the church to be able to receive communion, 62%, for the 46% of so-called Catholics who want us to recognize the marriages of gay and lesbian couples, well, this is not the way you learned in Christ, as St. Paul says. Um, you know, these folks have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness. What does licentiousness mean? Licentiousness is what most people mean, what most people think when you talk about freedom. If you go up to the average schmo on the street and say, pardon me, sir, pardon me, ma'am, what does freedom mean? What is freedom? They're going to say freedom means I can do whatever I want. That's not freedom. That's licentiousness. And so St. Paul's, and it's, it's also on St. Paul's list of, of mortal sins in, um, in, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and following. And so when St. Paul says they have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to the idea that they can do whatever they want, licentiousness, and they are greedy to practice every kind of impurity, okay? Well, you know, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Allow cohabiting couples, couples that are living together and you know, having sex together without being married to receive communion, in spite of what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. I'm allowing Catholics that are divorced, you know, and then remarried. What, Saint, what Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 10, the one who divorces a wife and marries another commits adultery. The one who divorces her husband and marries another likewise commits adultery. Those, you know, adultery is a mortal sin. And so when people have obstinately and stubbornly immersed themselves in mortal sin, when we have the means to help them through that, then again, that, you know, that's not the way you learned in Christ, as St. Paul says. Um, for surely you have, learned about, you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in, the true, in, in true righteousness and holiness. 
Again, that's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, if you want to look it up. So, again, with um, a lot of the hand-wringing that's going on about, oh my gosh, you know, all these people are leaving the faith. Well, you know, if you're going to embrace all of these ways of thinking that are contrary to the faith, it doesn't surprise me. And in fact, it goes all the way back to New Testament times. You know, when, when you look at, you know, with, with, with the things that St. Paul was dealing with, he was doing everything he could to try to hold together the communities that he had started. Some of the problems they had back then were different than the ones we have now, but a lot of them were the same. And the reason, one of the reasons why St. Paul is writing a lot of these letters to these folks is because word had gotten back to him that these various, um, the communities were coming apart at the seams because people were believing kooky stuff. When you read the book of Revelation, you know, Revelation is a letter. It's a letter written by St. John from the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea where he's a prisoner. And he has heard that up on the mainland in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, he's, he's, word has gotten to him that there's these seven Christian communities up there. He calls the seven churches. There's these seven communities. And some of the folks are doing okay. Um, some people, though, have, have bought into all kinds of bad ways of thinking, you know, ways of thinking that are completely contrary to the Christian message and to the Christian gospel, and John wants to hold them together. Well, the thing of it is, this is no different than it is now, that, um, you know, there are people in our day and age who have bought in to disordered ways of thinking, and when they don't find themselves at home in the, in the Catholic Church, because the church doesn't bend to their disordered way of thinking, they leave. Well, you know, again, sometimes you got to prune the vine. And if we cut off some of the dead wood, you know, so much the better. And in the long term, if we take the long view on this, what's going to happen is, you know, the, the world will continue to come apart at the seams, just like it was in the early Mediterranean world. And then when the world's coming apart at the seams, it's going to look at, you know, those who remain faithful to the teachings of Christ. And they're going to go, those people don't have the problems we have. They're not suffering from the same, you know, kind of moral malaise and stuff that we have. They seem to have happy families and good marriages and stuff. I think what they want, what they have, I want it. And so then, you know, I'm not saying that we're going to get, you know, the folks, you know, like, for example, the folks today, you know, who leave the church because they're disgruntled about something. I'm not saying we're necessarily going to get them back, but we might see their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren wanting to join you know, the faith because whatever it is was handed on to their parents that, that abandoned the faith you know, came up you know, terribly short. And so again, I think that um, you know, when, when we look at these, um, at the, at these trends from the, the seven facts about American Catholics, and again, for the, for the purpose of this broadcast, I focused on number two, that um, Catholicism has experienced this great net loss due to people leaving the faith in the other religious tradition in the United States. Again, he's saying that 13% of U.S. adults are former Catholics, all right? But then that's number two. The number five of the seven is many Catholics say they want to see the church make significant changes. And again, we have been over those changes a number of times in this broadcast, but just to summarize them one more time. 76% of Catholics say that the church should, you know, bless the use of birth control, you know, condoms, birth control pills, and things like that. In spite of the fact that when you just look at the moral and social and, and physiological chaos that those things have brought, and why more and more people aren't waking up and going, gee, the church had it right all along, is beyond me. 62% say they want priests to be able to get married. 59% say they want women to be able to become priests. 
62% say that Catholics are divorced and remarried outside the church should be able to go to communion. 61% say that Catholics that are just living together, one without the sacrament of matrimony, should be able to go to communion, in spite of the fact that in, in those two cases, especially, very clearly, St. Paul and Jesus both have said those two things are mortal sins. I mean, the, you, know, you can't go to communion when you're in a state of mortal sin. And then finally, 46% of Catholics say that the church should recognize the marriages of, Catholic, of, of gay and lesbian couples. Again, I just, you know, if, if those things are that important to you, I would say go talk to the Episcopalians. They've been doing that stuff now for decades. And they're also drying up and fading into irrelevance because of it. Um, the Methodist church isn't too far behind. And so, you know, again, all these various things that Catholics say we should do, other religions have done, and they, you don't see people flocking to them. Um, you don't see people going, you know, again, to these various other denominations, you know, oh, they're so tolerant, they're so inclusive, you know, they're non-judgmental. You no, know, they're irrelevant. And so nobody's joining them, and the people that are there and, you know, that, that are there are leaving, you know. And so, again, this isn't just a Catholic thing of people leaving the Catholic Church. You know, they, they say that nuns, N-O-N-E-S, as in none of the above, um, is turning into the biggest denomination in the United States right now. The large number of people that um, don't belong to any faith whatsoever. Which again, I think that if we just you know sit tight and live out our faith as, as faithfully as we can and as joyfully as we can, you know the people in the nun category, the N-O-N-E category, they're going to see that, well, what we have is better than what they have and they're going to want to sign on and get, and, and get on board. And so, again, I think the whole thing is remaining faithful to what, what's been handed on to us um, by the likes of Jesus and St. Paul, but also then at the same time being able to uh, do it joyfully so that it's attractive to folks and they say, hey, you know, I like what you have and, you know, what do I have to do to get the same thing? So, again, that pretty much winds up another installment of the Double-Edged Sword program. Again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. I am the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina, Kansas. I'm also the Rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas. And I also teach um, high school, teach um, my sophomores Old and New Testament a couple hours every day, Monday through Friday. I um, try to keep myself um, busy and keep myself occupied with enough of, those, enough of these things. And um, you are listening to the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Diversity Catholic radio stations. And um, we always invite folks um, to feel free to give us a call here at the radio station at um, 785-621-4110 if you have any ideas or, or suggestions for a future um, installment of the Double-Edged Sword program. Also, we invite you to visit our website at www.dv, that's V as in Victor, dvmercy.com. And on the Divine Mercy um, on our website, there are archived installments of both the Double-Edged Sword program and the One Body program. And with our Catholic radio stations that we have here, a lot of Catholic radio stations use the, the programming from EWTN, which is great programming. We use an awful lot of it here. But our Catholic radio stations also have two locally produced programs. We have um, Double-Edged Sword and One Body. And but again, those are um, great blessing that we have two locally produced programs in addition to the national stuff as well. So there are archive installments of both those programs on the website, and you can listen to them at your leisure. Also, there is the donate button. We know that, thanks be to God, that um, Catholic Radio gets no money from the government, and um, that's what allows us to be able to say what the church teaches. And so uh, we, in, we invite you to click on the donate button to keep these um, airwaves going. We know the Catholic Radio has been a tremendous blessing to the Ellis County Metroplex, I know, and it's um, becoming a great blessing here in, um, in the Saline County Metroplex. 
where we have the one of the newest of the radio stations that we have of um, KJDM 101.7, Lindsberg Salina. I know that I hear from a lot of folks here in Salina saying, yeah, we've been listening to the Catholic radio station in the car and, you know, even say, you know, the kids ask about it. And so, um, again, Catholic radio is a great blessing. And so we, in, we invite you to, um, to get on board and support the station as best you can and um, to listen to us, you know, to tune it in. I always tell people that Catholic Radio is a great evangelization tool, that if you have one of those folks, maybe you know, you know, one of those, that 13% of the adult American population that's a former Catholic, and if they're, you know, ragging on to you and telling you, well, yeah, you know, um, I used to be Catholic, but they, you know, I got tired of, you know, Catholics making me feel guilty about birth control, or I don't know why they won't let priests get married, or I don't know why they won't let women become priests and what have you. Well, what you do is say, you know, I'm not really the greatest at answering those questions, but why don't you tune in? to 105.7 there in Hayes? Or why don't you tune into 101.7 there in Lindsberg and Salina? Or why don't you turn into 88.1 in Great Bend? Or tune into 88.1 in Hayes? And um, you know, just listen to them you know, and, and just tell them, look, just tune in for an hour sometime this week. Whether you sit down and listen for a whole hour or listen 20 minutes here and 10 minutes there and 15 minutes there or whatever, and let the Holy Spirit do the work for you. You know, let the, the Holy Spirit will guide these persons and the Holy Spirit will remind them, hey, you said you were going to tune into Catholic Radio this week. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. And then they'll tune it in and maybe they'll tune it in and they'll just they'll be listening right about the time when they need to hear what they need to hear. Um, I know I've heard a number of people say that. And so, again, you know, that's one of the reasons why we support Catholic Radio is so that we don't have to do all the work ourselves. You know, let the Holy Spirit and let St. Michael over the Catholic Radio airwaves um, do it for you. So again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. You've been listening to the Double-Edged Sword program on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and the station that started it all, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And so the, on the Double-Edged Sword program, you know, we're cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And we're glad you tuned in for this installment. And we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Until then, goodbye and God bless.